the Triathlon Show 264. Hey, what's up everybody and welcome back to another episode of that Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. I'm your host Michael and on today's episode I interview Olaf Alexander Bu. Olaf is a sports scientist and lead coach working with the Norwegian Triathlon Olympic team where he works uh, together with Adil Tveiten who I have interviewed uh, twice in the past on the podcast and Olaf specifically is heavily involved in things like testing, performance optimization and the scientific approach adopted by the Norwegian Olympic team that has uh, brought a lot of success in races uh, ranging from Super League to Ironman 7.3 races for their athletes. So this is a really exciting interview. As uh, you can tell, we go quite long and uh, there's a lot to talk about. But before we get into that, big thanks to our sponsors, Precision Hydration, that you can find on precisionhydration.com. Precision Hydration create electrolyte supplements that you can match to your individual sweat sodium concentration level and you can get a free hydration plan that will be based around your estimated sweat sodium concentration which you can get by just filling out a quiz with 10 questions or so on the Precision Hydration website and that quiz has been validated and the results have been validated against medical grade equipment testing so that you will get a really good ballpark estimate for how much sodium you lose and then you can supplement with electrolytes accordingly. This becomes especially important when your racing is longer or hotter, but even in training, when you're training for a high volume in particular with high intensity as well, then rehydrating and prehydrating with sodium can be really important to, to really maximize your performance gains. You can get 15% off precision hydration electrolytes with the promo code thattriathlonshow15. And thank you to Roka that you can find on roka.com. Roka are the world-leading manufacturers of wetsuits, trisuits, swimskins, goggles, and high-performance eyewear. Roka pride themselves on innovation. They are a super innovative company and that has been seen time and time again from when they first decided to start creating the world's fastest uh, wetsuit in a garage in Austin to more recently when they have uh, made the whole, the big jump from creating sports and triathlon equipment to more recently, for example, jumping into a category such as prescription glasses which is uh, obviously super super cool and they are doing a great job with that i have their rory prescription glasses so i can tell that this is super great quality but uh, roca has plenty of patents including for example their uh, arms up technology that you have in all of their wetsuits and in their tri suits so that uh, you'd avoid the situation where for example you might have a great flexible wetsuit but then your tri suit is restricting your movement so so the flexible wetsuit is to no use in that sense that's not the case when you're using a roca tri suit with with the roca wetsuit as well also in the eyewear category to give you a couple of other examples they have fantastic optics and coding so that their uh, sunglasses and eyeglasses perform in even the most extreme conditions uh, they have Geco anti-slip technology and they, they have titanium cores in their rims so that you can actually bend and shape the uh, the glasses to match your the shape of your face perfectly. You can get 20% off your Roka order with the promo code that you can get on roka.com forward slash TTS. 
Now, without any further ado, let's get into the interview with Olav Alexander Bu. Welcome to that triathlon show, Olav. How are you doing today? Thanks. Uh, good. Um, um, busy, but uh, yeah, opportunities like this are always uh, always uh, a nice. Uh, how to say? Um, addition to uh, uh, to the everyday uh, action. Good, good to hear. Hope it will be an, an entertaining discussion, and I'm sure that. Well, I know that I'm very uh, grateful for it, and I know that I think the listeners will be as well. So, before we get into the the topics that we have in store for today, maybe we just start by you introducing yourself a little bit more. So, who are you, and and what's your background and current role in triathlon? Uh, so I grew up actually on a farm and not, uh, where with, with, uh, yeah, outside of Eidfjord, which is the, let's say the, where the Norseman extreme triathlon, uh, is hosted every year. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I'm turning 40 years while in Tokyo, uh, Olympics next year. Uh, I have, a. uh, uh, yeah, I met my wife 15 years ago. I have a son, three and a half year, and a daughter, a half year old. Background from engineering, uh, yeah, serial entrepreneur, built and sold a few companies within technology. Um, uh, yeah, I, my in my house, a childhood, I was uh, I always been very active. I like to to experiment with a lot of different sports. I, I wasn't very sports specific. Uh, and I perhaps tended to uh, be more fascinated more about the, let's say the extreme sports uh, with Voss also uh, very close to where I grew up. Uh, but as I grew older, I went more and more into team sports, uh, I would say, uh, sailing, uh, primarily actually, uh, that's where I, yeah, I have a second place from a European championship there. Uh, and sailing, of course, is uh, a very explosive sport in the right context compared to triathlon. It's a sport where you basically do a, uh, five second all out something uh, for a very short time and then you have a rest period and so on but uh, yeah um, I converted to triathlon in 2011 increased by performance uh, quite quickly there I went up to actually five watts per kilogram um, and highly motivated by all the data that you can actually generate on a bike uh, but I struggled with some overuse injuries, as you can maybe understand coming from a, a sport with very few repetitions and very high high force compared to triathlon where you do thousands of repetitions and sometimes with even without rest. Uh, started to study psych- no, physiology under Oyan Matsen in 2012 uh, but yeah first as an athlete but then uh, with uh, again a lot of overuse injuries uh, just because my body wasn't used to all those repetitions uh, and uh, he was also the one that inspired me to rather move on to the staff side rather than being the athletes and uh, use my combination of technology and, and understanding of physiology to advance the field of sports science um, and that's basically where I am today, uh, working mostly as a sports scientist um, uh, and 
triathlon, I work with several sports, but triathlon, the Norwegian Olympic uh, team in triathlon is basically where I spend, I would say somewhere between 40 to 50% of my time during a year. Since uh, 2016, um, no, yeah, 15, 16. Um, and uh, I'm working on, um, to, yeah, everything from sports science there to coaching, uh, mainly in triathlon, but in other sports, I have a more sports scientific uh, yeah, specific role uh, compared, to, uh, compared to triathlon. So that's... That's the short, I think, uh, short and long on me. That is uh, extremely fascinating. And basically the only thing that I knew about that was that while you're working with the, the Norwegian uh, triathlon uh, national team, the Olympic uh, team and helping them out, but all the rest with your background in engineering and technology and uh, and other sports, very different from triathlon is very, very interesting. So uh, yeah, uh, good stuff. Uh, let's uh, perhaps... Uh, go into what a typical workday for you might look like. And that's what we're talking here maybe about the workday when you're working primarily on the triathlon stuff. So so can you give, uh, yeah, tell us a little bit more about what you're doing for, for the triathlon team? Um, so for the triathlon team, um, uh, of course, the year is divided into different parts. Uh, we have... Uh, um, uh, yeah, the triathlons, the triathletes, so the Olympic triathletes, uh, so Christian, Gustav, Kasper, uh, and uh, now also some girls, uh, but Christian, Kasper, and, and, and Gustav, they, of course, they have their normal training weeks and uh, where they either are in Norway or they go abroad. Uh, and then, of course, it is the Olympic program, which I'm mostly focusing on um and i would say a normal training period it's about for me um that's when i'm staying more at home and the athletes are doing their daily training and i work very close with uh, rl on let's say planning what to do what have we learned what can where should we look for places to optimize and so on uh so in those phases, I spend quite a lot of time on projects, analysis, follow-up, planning, optimization, and, and testing, of course, uh, which is an uh, uh, integrated part in, in, in the triathletes uh, program. Um, in training camp periods, uh, which uh, especially that's where maybe differentiates a little bit between, let's say, the Olympic program and the, let's say the national team, because the Olympic triathletes, especially now with the COVID nineteen and so on, have been more isolated. So they, uh, what's what's central for their program is of course heat, uh, heat camps. Um, altitude camps uh, and then of course it's Olympic pre Olympic preparations and on the camps on the altitude and the heat camp um, uh, I have the, the main responsibility to follow up these athletes uh, uh, in their daily training uh, yeah that's uh, yeah I'm, I'm basically living together with them when when we are in camps um, and following them up uh, doing analysis between their workouts adjustments and optimization and so on, and um, uh, of course, during race season, 
Um, we have that part of the year where we are going into now where there are less, less races and we are more at home and the athletes are staying closer to, uh, to their homes as well. Uh, and we do more testing. We go more into the lab looking at response, uh, sponsors and where we can, where we can optimize and, and, and individualize the training for each of the athletes. But then, of course, when we go into the race season, we are not able to go into the lab in the same way. So we bring more, let's say, the lab out with, with, uh, with the athletes. But again, I think we have a completely different approach to testing than a lot of other C traditional testing because you can e- well easily uh, adapt this, uh, adapt testing in with a good strategy into their training schedule and it, it, it won't interfere or let's say, um, uh, disturb the, the, the training plan as, uh, as we would have like to have it ideally. Mm. I think that we're going to talk about testing a bit more later, but perhaps if you can just, uh, now that you mentioned that, uh, describe a little bit uh, what that might look like in like how you integrate the testing in the normal training during the racing season when you can't go into your normal lab, for example. So because we have quite... Uh, um, because I do quite, let's say... Um, advanced tests with with uh, with the athletes we have a very complete picture of them and it's not something we only do one time during a year but we do it several times during a year during different periods so i know i have a very good feeling with how this this changes individually for the for the athletes and when when we then go into the field and we are more into the race season uh because we have so many metrics, we can work on both metabolic, but also uh, p- power, uh, force velocity, uh, f- uh, yeah, o- other factors. Uh, I can do. Let's say I can compare. I look, for example, I can, I can. We can on one specific training that, let's say, is race specific. I can look at some metabolic markers, and I can look at okay, how do they change? Uh, how do they change with, let's say, the same. Uh, load um, in a given period uh, compared to other times during the year and are they developing in, in the direction that we want to see that these markers are moving uh, as an indicator of whether we need to make some adjustments or optimize uh, optimize the training but but it's it's of course it, it's a lot of data and it's, it's it's never how to say a decision optimization based on just one or two markers is looking at the full picture and then uh, trying to combine it with both let's say metabolic markers uh, and and uh, and let's say power output uh, markers uh, um Combined with looking at the race demand, of course, uh, one thing is looking at something at steady state. Another is looking at when you have a big variation in training. But then, of course, there's a technical aspect as well. You know, cycling in, in triathlon is, is very crit uh, alike. So uh, there's technical aspects there as well that you need to master. Um, and all these kind of things put different demands uh, on the athletes that you need to put into a full picture and then look at, okay, how can you create the best balance for that athlete yeah yeah uh, that's a good uh good good answer uh you mentioned having started with uh, the the national team in 2015-16 so uh, in these uh five four or five years what are some things that have changed over the course of uh, you being there uh maybe 
perhaps primarily as a direct or indirect result of of your work like things that you have introduced or suggested and that you have started to to implement in uh, in the routine with the with the team um so i probably some some of them you can imagine Arald uh, managing these uh, crazy athletes uh, on his own. It's, it's uh, he, he, like me and probably yourself, uh, only have 24 hours during a day. So it's 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 um, you have to focus on those things that that uh, are most important. And when I when I, but of course at this level, uh, you're always looking for those uh, last things that that. I'll say makes the difference between the podium and, and some uh, random place uh, in, 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 on the highest level, um, and uh, uh, that can sometimes be margins that makes that difference. Uh, and uh, the biggest ch- thing that basically changed when I came in 2015 was more like uh, where I had a very silent role. I was basically only making measurements uh, then on Christian uh, only uh, uh, and following him and Arl into the Rio Olympics, uh, but basically only doing only doing measurements and and, and uh, uh, discussing a little bit with with Arl where maybe uh, some smaller adjustments could be could be made, but primarily it was. Uh, just observing, measuring, and 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 uh, and looking at what what could we do after Rio Olympics. Um, and then after Rio Olympics, one of the things that uh, we really started to implement the first thing was actually uh, how, was intensity uh, or or better better intensity control and understanding what was happening in the body at different intensity or power outputs or with without and with fatigue and so on but um uh that was the that was the, maybe the first thing that was how say implementing a testing machine and can, and can you explain that a little bit more give some examples of, of how you started understanding the intensity better and uh, having better intensity control so uh, to be i'll say very specific but short uh it means basically that uh, i think most triathletes today they use either let's say a critical velocity or uh let's say uh they use the speed in a race or, or they use ftp like they do a ftp test of some kind and maybe sometimes even they do a 20 minute and they multiply it with 0.95 to to try to extrapolate their 60 minute power if they think that is their their let's say their threshold and you can always discuss okay how important is it but uh, uh, most of the training programs for i think today they they have zones they operate with zones and and or different uh, or as a percentage of something and then you make your plan based on this and then you how say you 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 you, you give the program to to an athlete and then of course we know that the physiology of athletes are quite different uh, you don't necessarily always what i respond to is not necessarily what you respond best to uh, especially when you reach what i call peak volume peak volume is how say when you uh, at this level you, there are there aren't much more hours you can train during a during a week so so it needs to you have to pay more attention to other variables and um uh, what I was looking more into is that when you when you 
for example, just to take the classic one, FTP times 0.95 uh, to find your, F, uh, let's say, no, not FTP, sorry, uh, your 20-minute power. power times uh, 0.95 to, to find your FTP. We know, of course, uh, that uh, this is uh, both a misunderstood and misused concept. It can, it can work quite well for, for, for a majority of a group, but at this level, that, that's not, <clears throat> not what you're looking for. So you need to understand these kind of things with a much greater precision. You can imagine when you are out running an interval, you don't, when, when you know you have a five minute interval, or if you have a 10 minute interval, you don't run 11 minutes, you run 10 minutes. You don't even run 10 minutes and 10 seconds normally. You would run 10 minutes and then you have an equal, the rest period equally accurate as uh, you would do with your work. And you would, um, your workout wouldn't be, I would say, one and a half hour. If it was one hour, it would be exactly. But on intensity or what happens on the Y scale, that's something that is uh, much less understood. Um, and it doesn't only have an implication on your training, but it also has an implication on your restitution afterwards. That's for one, but it also has an implication on how basically you are balancing, let's say, your metabolic uh, system as well to produce a certain power. And the challenge, of course, with triathlon is that you are not only swimming uh, a 400 meter or 100 meter or 1500 meter, and that's it. You are first swimming 1500 meter, uh, or, or less or longer. But let's say if you focus on the Olympic, uh, 1500 meter swim, then you have a short transition with, with very high intensity to get to your bike. And there's a lot of uh, disruption. And then you get out on the bike and you, depending on how the groups are and where you are uh, positioned, when you get out on the bike, this will highly influence how you do the biking. And then you go off and you go running. And, but this is not how you normally train. You normally, it's very, I'll say during a year, most of the time when you do this kind of, let's say, call it training, uh, is actually in competition. So in in training, triathlon is much more complex because there are so much more that affects your training because you can train fresh, you can train fatigued. uh, And and what does this, how does this, for example, affect uh, your development and what do you need? Uh, So, but to, to, bring it back down to, to, to the initial question. Um, intensity me- means basically that you need to understand what happens in the body during different power outputs and maybe even 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 different even different power outputs at, during different fatigues that are relevant for your racing, but then also how does this balance? And what I'm, what I mean by balancing is that if you only do let's say threshold training or anaerobic threshold training or whatever you want to call it. Uh, uh, that's, it's, it, it, for, for an untrained athlete, yes, that's probably very good and you can lift everything. You can lift the whole curve probably from doing that kind of training for a very long period. But for elite athletes, when you are at close to peak performance, it's a balance. One thing affects something different. And then, mm, yeah. then you need to understand how is power produced and, and how do you prioritize then the training from that. And that comes mainly through accurate intensity control. And accurate intensity control comes from uh, that, you, um, that you really need to understand and develop methods for, for assessing and controlling it. 
uh, as an alternative to going by power or speed or uh, these kind of things all the time. Mm. So, so with the balance there, are you referring to like really having a good picture of both the the aerobic and the anaerobic uh, capacity of of the athlete and and how one might impact the other or the type of training you're doing for one system might impact the other? Is that what I'm hearing? That's a, that's a, that's a good uh, good initial summary uh, of it. And then, of course, we we have to remember also that there are some things we are very good at measuring. Uh, and now I'm talking on a global level, uh, uh, and we have a good understanding of, but there are also quite a lot of factors that goes into sports performance, especially when you're closing to peak performance, that we don't have good methods also for, for, for measuring yet. But still, we have to measure what we can measure and, 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 and try to understand the rest best possible. Yeah. All right. So, so other than uh, this, the intensity, the testing, and uh, deeper understanding of that, and the intensity control, uh, were you were there any other things that you wanted to to mention that you have uh, incorporated into in, with your work into the team? Uh, so, intensity control is probably the first thing we started with. Of course, then uh, putting in place a good uh, testing regime and 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 test protocols and, and to allow for, how to say, making sure that the workout models that uh, are in place uh, also gives the response that we hope for them to do. And then is of course, the evaluation of, uh, how to say, when we do retesting to understand, okay, how did it actually work? Um, then it's uh, how, um, more advanced use of technology or uh, a leap forward when it comes to technology um and i think uh, um uh, yeah i think i think that was the those things are probably the, the biggest uh, biggest things uh, that uh, that i have contributed with i think for yeah. norwegian triathlon in the beginning yeah uh, what technology have you started using so I think th- this is uh, um, uh, some I can talk about, some I can't. Uh, but uh, uh, some of the technologies, of course, are uh, we we paid quite a lot of attention to to, to the bikes. Obviously, uh, if you look at the bikes that they were racing with, especially Gustav and Casper, prior to to 2016 and after 2016, there was a major upgrade. Uh, I think, uh, and um, uh, it's been how to say how we set up the bikes, the technology that goes into the bike, uh, how we basically make sure that they that the bike is how say uh, fit for the athlete, the methods that we use to to make sure that they have. Uh, that we don't use just a standard, let's say, fit protocol and just say, okay, but this is what the statistics say or this is what the the, the, the bike fit protocol says that would be a good fit for this kind of athlete, but actually checking it using metabolic uh, measurements and so on during that fit, but also dynamic measurements during, during I'll say, uh, training and so on as well. Um uh, and and I and I think uh, one thing also that uh, w- which is very nice with the team is that the mentality there is that not necessarily that we, we look at the new technology and say oh this will be the new thing this will be the new great thing to 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 have and this will make uh, make us uh, better 
but it's more about that when we have questions, when we have questions or something we, we wonder about, we just do it. We, we implement, we, we just implement that technology. We make the, of course, uh, I can, I can answer a little bit more in detail later, but, but it's about always looking for competitive advantages. And very often technology can aid us in understanding, understanding uh, where we can find these competitive advantages compared to just using uh, your visuals or uh, feedback from the athletes. Yeah. And I remember the first interview I did with Adil, which is now, uh, I think, more than two years ago, uh, he mentioned a couple of things. He mentioned the Stride running power meter and the Triton wearable swim device from Canada, I think, that measures different mm-hmm. swim metrics that I'm, I'm not too familiar with that device uh, are, are you still have you found that those gave you a competitive advantage are you still using them or or what was the take on those because those i have already uh, already talked about before yeah so 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 i i already i already actually used stride in before it was launched on the market um uh but at that time, when they first launched the, the first version of the, of the Stride, it was uh, almost like a heart rate device. It was uh, all the inertial measurements were sitting where you where you have your heart rate belt today, and you had to replace your let's say your Garmin uh, heart rate belt with with that Stride belt. Uh, uh, but of course, it didn't measure all the things that the Garmin belt measured. So of course, you have to give away some data. But then they released the footpod version, the first footpod version. And that was a big change uh, because, first of all, we got closer to where actually, uh, let's say, uh, you, um, yeah, where the work happens uh, between, let's say, the, the tarmac and, 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 your, and your body. Uh, uh, and it also gave us a whole new set of metrics that allowed us to 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 look at what happens with an athlete. Of course, one is when you use it in the test; another is to use it for intensity control uh, on some run sessions um, where you are not on a track, for example. Uh, it gave us insight. Uh, I even use it in the lab to to validate it against vo2 uh, and then how they did, did a comparison back to power meters where it gave an accuracy that was quite surprising it was so accurate that it's 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 um, they've done a really good job there um, uh, and it again gave us more insight into also how different things affects their performance sorry for being a little bit general a little bit general on, on my on my answer here but uh, uh, some of the things of course that have been mentioned by other groups is of course even the ability to look at how different surfaces affects running uh, shoes how they um, can make a change um, uh, uh, yeah right yeah but it's fair to say that you're still using it and finding it a, a good device uh, in your toolbox. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, and, and, and uh, of course, there have been some technology like, like the Triton where we actually used for a period, but then we decided to discontinue it because we had too much trouble with the hardware, uh, with hardware droning and so on. Now they've made a new version of, of the Triton and I have one now back that I'm using 
on on some of the tests and when I do metabolic profiling and so on to have more, let's say, output metrics as well uh, combined with the metabolic measurements. Um, but we lost some because of the new device, they, they, they had to make some compromises at this time. They are trying to mitigate it or, or working on, on, in, on implementing back some of the metrics that, uh, or let's say raw data measurements that we had available before they are not available at the moment. So uh, it, 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 it's progressing. Mm. Have you used any other, if you can talk about it, any other swim technology between these two versions of the Triton or or even in parallel with, with that? Yeah, so we've tested quite a lot of different technologies, um, some that are more intrusive and you would basically only use them for some very specific testing. Uh, yeah, from devices that can measure drag, uh, measure drag in the water. Uh uh, a force um, to yeah to the smart paddles from in Finland. Uh, uh, what more technologies? Heart rate system for free lap, uh, which gives both heart rate but also uh, um, heart rate variability or RR intervals. Um, well, what more? Uh, yeah, probably several more technologies too that we have tested, but not. But a lot of them we haven't uh, implemented, and I think this goes back to the mentality of the team and that we are always looking for a competitive advantage, and every, we don't expect necessarily that we will we'll find something. But we think it's better to just do the work. Uh, um, have the same mentality, the same way we expect our athletes to be the best in the world. I think that we as a staff always have to have the same mentality. We want to be the best in the world. And that means basically that you, you have to continue always working on finding competitive uh, advantages. And I think this is something also, or, or I know this is a mentality that the athletes also really likes to be a part of. So, so that gives an opportunity to, to test a lot of different technologies and, uh, and, and learn, um, uh, whether we can implement it or not, and sometimes we even learn things that we it, that wasn't obvious uh, first sight. Mm, yeah. All right. Uh, let's get to the topic on testing and discuss that uh, a bit more. So, so can you describe a little bit what, what it looks like? And we already alluded to that it's different depending on where you are in the season and where you are in the world <laughs> physically. Yeah. But uh, yeah, just describe it a little bit more. So, um, some of the testing. Uh, well, I do, of course, obviously metabolic uh, profiling of of the athletes. As you probably have seen some pictures on from from the guys um, uh, power plotting force velocity plots uh, fatigue profiling or let or or basically looking at let's say the same markers but where you have done certain amount of kilojoules of work and certain amount of kilojoules of work at different let's say rates um uh, trending from big data uh, because we use quite a lot so much sensors that the athletes doesn't even notice that is there. We can accumulate quite big, uh, extensive data sets and then look at trends, uh, yeah, spot checking, um, biomarkers, vi- different blood uh, biomarkers. Uh, and then, of course, there are also some other methods that I'm researching, but 
which is not ready for prime time yet. And I think I have to come more back to after the Olympics. Mm, yeah. With the metabolic testing, uh, if we go into that a bit more, what, what does it look like when, uh, in an ideal scenario, maybe when, when you have them available uh, to go into the lab at home in Norway? So we would always try to standardize the days before uh, and the period where we do the testing to have as comparative uh, ground as possible. But at the same time, it really, the only way, it, on the one, it's important on one side, but on the other side is not that important. Um, if you re, uh, yeah, if you understand the connection between, let's say, input and output. Uh, so an ideal scenario is, but an ideal scenario is normally that uh, the period before, uh, the days before have been, been, been standardized. It's in a certain, certain period of a cycle. Um, and then we basically go into the lab and we do, uh, what, what we just call a full metabolic profile. So we look at, uh, uh, both, let's say, uh, the anaerobic and aerobic uh, metabolism, in lack of a better word, and, and efficiency. Yeah. And uh, how, how long does that uh, sort of testing profile take you? Because I'm assuming that you're doing it both on the on the bike and the run and maybe even the swim. Uh, yeah. Uh, so it, it, this is actually something that happens over three days. Uh, so we, I, I, I like to start with the bike. So normally you would think that, okay, it would be triathlon. So it, it, it would be normal to start with swim, then go to the bike and then to the run. But I decided to split it up into bike first uh, because uh, we see that the fatigue um from the from the bike is less than the fatigue from the run so if you did run first it will it will impact more the the later tests more than, than than the bike so we start with the bike and then they do the swim so to basically shift from let's say lower body to upper body work the day after and then back to run the third day um and this uh gives quite a lot of data not uh, actually not only isolated but also combined um i know i answered this also a little bit generally from a general perspective but you can imagine that these test protocols they differ on the one side they look quite it they might look quite different no similar to what one i've seen before but with a slight let's say uh with some some adjustments but on the other side also it's always a matter of how to say uh, understanding actually uh, what you measure and 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 what affects the measures um and as long as you know these kind of things and you look and you have several metabolic markers you can look at um then um this is the protocol with having experience from a lot of different types of protocol, this is the protocol we still see that we are able to extract the most useful data uh, from uh, when it comes to the triathletes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, is it possible for you to give some example of how you then use the the data that you get from the testing in uh, in in action so to say like how does that impact the training prescription or the strategy that you you take even if it's just a a single example that has happened at some point uh, over the course of the of the years or just any way to make make it a bit more specific with how the testing then informs training 
Um, so uh, one thing is, of course, that single test. But what's important here is that it's not only a single test. It's a, it, it, it's a series of tests. But the single test, of course, first gives us a picture of how the athlete, uh, let's say, strength and weaknesses and so on in that specific athlete. And then, of course, it's we always have to evaluate that with the work required, or let's say the race requirement in mind. So, uh, and, and of course, no single profile, you, you, you can't just take one single profile and say, okay, this is the profile that you want to have in all different athletes. Because one thing you have to remember when you, when we talk about VO2 max, or we talk about Vila max, or we talk about uh, maximum lactate steady state and so on, is that, at least VO2 max and VLA max are more a power measurement rather than a capacity measurement. You really don't measure capacity when you measure VO2 max or VLA max. That's to use uh, some common words. It's, it's aerobic power and anaerobic power because you're talking about something that you measure over one minute. So VO2 max milliliters per minute and VLA max is something you you, where you measure something that is for uh, millimoles per liter per second. Uh, they don't say anything about how long you can do something or, or how much you can utilize before you're empty. So uh, the way that we then, with these tests, we are able to, to get a much more full picture of also uh, yeah, these kind of things. And uh, that allows us to say, okay, yeah, well, this athlete, so, at, so uh, Christian needs a little bit more this kind of training. So that means that when you are talking then about training intensity distribution, so how do you, how do you, how do you distribute the training? And what, what when, for example, then you, you plan for, okay, how much should you do at, let's say, at the at different intensities? For one athlete, that means that he might have to do more at one intensity and we have to reduce it. Uh, equally much on another side for example for example you don't want to combine uh, extensive uh, maximum lactate steady state uh, training with vila max training they would kill each other so you need to th- these are the things that you need to balance uh, uh, in order to 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 create the development that you uh, that you want or that you see that this specific athlete need and then uh, you have to have an idea or a, a good plan for how you then also because now you're talking about isolated isolated uh, metrics or isolated uh, characteristics that you want to develop, but you don't race that way. You race in triathlon quite differently. So then you have to have an idea of how do you want to bridge that back into and how to say uh, main, how do you want to bridge that back into the um, training regime of that athlete so that you see an improved, let's say, race specific performance if if it makes sense yeah so so maybe you can have an athlete that already has a good metabolic profile in in the isolated test uh, that fills fulfills the demands of the race uh, at the level that you want them to perform but but if they're not performing then there might be something else missing like their ability to to sustain uh, that level of of output under fatigue as you alluded to earlier that you do some of these tests when when they have already uh, gone under some pre fatiguing protocol, that that's that's one. But it can also be the balance between, let's say, the VO two max and Vila max and capacity. So it means basically that you could say that okay, but this would be an ideal, let's say, Vila max for for for. So VO two max, obviously, you want to have 
very high uh, for for triathletes. Uh, but the Vila Max, you have to be, you have to balance very carefully. But what is a sustainable Vila Max for one athlete is not necessarily sustainable for another athlete because one athlete can have a bigger capacity than the other, for example. Uh, how, how, how do you, how do you mean? Is it that uh, for some athlete it's difficult to get it high enough or or low enough? And what would if you give a rough ballpark? What would you say for uh, Olympic distance? Well, ITU athletes uh, that the VLA max roughly should be around what sort of range? So to give a very to give an even sim- give an even simpler uh, explanation of it. Uh, I think most people know today that, okay, or one scientifically accepted term, I think, for anaerobic threshold today is maximum lactate steady state. It's probably one of the few, let's say, one of the few terms that are generally accepted as the anaerobic threshold. And with with one protocol, you can basically go, you should be able to go into whatever lab or, or environment you want to and be able to pre- reproduce it compare, compared to if you use uh, four millimole or if you use uh, uh, yeah some other fixed blood lactate uh, marker or if you use FTP or whatever. Ma- maximum lactate steady state is something that I think you're looking at basically the highest possible uh, balance between lactate uh, production and and oxidation and combustion yeah, yeah you want to but the time that you are capable of 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 riding at maximum lactate steady state is not the same for for two athletes one can do that maybe for 40 minutes another can do that maybe for 70 minutes And that, of course, influences also your strategy. It doesn't help if you have the highest possible maximum lactate steady state and you bleed off all other, uh, let's say, characteristics and, and you go into a triathlon and basically you start uh, fatiguing or underperforming uh, whatever is the course when after 40, 45 minutes in that race. Then you have to look at, okay, okay, okay this is your, this is how... Um, This is what we see. These are then you have to then you have to look at okay how can we leverage other qualities and that means maybe even bleeding off some max, maximum lactic steady state maybe in, in triathlon. Which we, and the reason why I mentioned maximum lactic steady state in triathlon is because we know that it's very very close to that the let's say the the race uh, speed or average race speed there. But for one guy that has a huge capacity like Christian for example and can sit as a powerhouse sitting in the front there and pulling up groups and even then finishing off with a run that is uh yeah is from another world uh you can have other athletes that maybe have the same let's say balance between VO2 max and 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 Vila max giving the same let's say maximum lactic steady state but the time to exhaustion uh for example is shorter so now you have to now you have to look at okay how can we how can you leverage what are the strengths of this athlete and how can you leverage leverage those strengths in order to set that athlete up in order for a win and that means basically he cannot be the guy sitting in front powering up uh uh, uh or pulling the whole uh, group he might have to sit and 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 protect himself a little bit maybe have to go forward a little bit to 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 of course do his share of work but but needs to be more careful careful for this to set him up for for the run that is required afterwards to to, uh, to win so 
there are when we talk about DU2 max and VLAN max and maximize steady state, it's only you're only looking at you're not looking at you're looking at a two-dimensional picture, more or less. You're not looking at a three-dimensional picture. Yeah, yeah. So you that's where you bring in the race race demands and uh, and yeah, I, I that example actually is a really good one and uh makes uh illustrate really well how you how you look at the entire picture and uh, and try to make the testing really really useful and and use it to optimize race performance and not just optimize test performance and uh, testing data testing numbers exactly and, and 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 this is what they also of course try to do with 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 uh, when critical power curves that are very nice uh, is, is is a nice tool used used correctly and of course with critical velocity curves or critical power curves they you you try also to to determine what you call w prime or d prime um, uh, to understand the capacity but what the problem with most of these models or all these models is that it's so difficult to model let's say um, uh, resynthetization uh, when you have rest periods at different levels and, and actually even more com- to add to the complexity, uh, what happens when you have with, with increased time or increased work, increased fatigue? Uh, and then again, on top of that, psychology, uh, because a small, a small change in your efficient, let's say your ability to focus on, on working efficiently. So if you start to, let's say, um, um, work or you become unfocused or uh, I'm in, in lack of a better word uh, in, in how you uh, in how you, you you work you might drop your efficiency and this again also then uh, you, you, you cannot correlate it to a po- certain power level anymore uh, the problem I think the problem for me a little bit is that I'm so deep into the raw data and working with these things that I, I I'm I'm sorry. Sometimes I think I need to use a little bit of time to 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 find some good, easy pictures or, or, or explanations to, to give this. But I think I think you summarized it quite well uh, with with how you you uh, summarized it. Yeah, no, no problem. That's that's my job as the podcast host to try to do that. <laughs> <laughs> so and and of course it's and it's uh, it's always a balance as well be, with the audience of the podcast being of very different uh, levels of understanding of the physiology, which is uh, which is absolutely uh, as it should be. Of course, you have people that are more beginners and people that have uh, read all the physiology books that there are out there, and uh, well, coaches and scientists listening. So so it's all, always difficult to to make it like at the exact right level for everybody. But uh, with some examples it usually ends up being uh being as yeah pretty good at, at least yeah let's 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 move on to uh some other topics that i have here and actually we have uh, talked for quite a long time so i am going to skip some of the questions that i have uh, but uh one question that i do have for you and really want to get into is uh, do you have an opinion on uh, the potential crossover effect between the disciplines in triathlon uh, and how that might impact the training planning? Yeah. Um, so this we see in practice, especially also when we do testing, because we see that the difference on high. So, for example, if you if you take a cyclist and you take a runner, you can find 
you can find that there is a there is a rather big difference in performance, uh, let's say metabolic performance between those two. But if you take a triathlete, you can find the same. Uh, you can find that they basically have the same metabolic. Uh, uh, yeah, the metabolic rate is more or less very similar between running and cycling with cycling maybe being a slightly higher than 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 running and that that's just when you come closer to maximal maximal uh, uh, load or or view to max in in cycling you can basically involve more muscles than what you are capable of doing at in running you, you can imagine running you basically you are you are uh, you the, the contact time with the surface is very short and uh, and you basically have no nothing restricting or uh, loading up your muscles in the recovery phase compared to in cycling where you would normally have more or less the same pattern that you would have the the, the 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 power production phase and then you have a recovery phase but the closer you get to view to max um, uh, the more muscles you would involve and here you actually are starting to involve much more muscles uh, than than what you what you do in 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 running, but that means that in in cycling and running for for triathlon uh, you have um, they, those two has to be carefully planned depending on what you're working on. So in some phases you might want to to isolate to develop maybe one characteristics more than the other. Again, always depending on what you there, there, there should always be an you should always try to identify the needs for do a test find out okay where is where where do we need to to work so that you don't just uh, start working on something without uh, knowing why you are trying to change something or why you want to develop something but you, you start with a test and then you see okay here there is an area where we need to to work something it can be based on even your race results and it should be and then you you can isolate maybe that okay you say we, we need to work on specific characteristics in running uh, a little bit more. So you need to then, how to say, shift, uh, change maybe a little bit um, the training in the, uh, training intensity distribution more towards uh, towards running uh, a little bit than the cycling. But the good thing is, of course, that they, these two also um, uh, work very well together. So, but, but also in these two, you need to plan more carefully. Swimming, because you're using much more your upper body. Of course, you're, you're getting energy much from the same system, but, uh, you, uh, uh, but you also have the possibility to, exp- you're not, you can, uh, you can have a tough cycling session and then go on to, on to, to swimming afterwards and have a tough swim session or the other way around. Uh, and some fatigue will be shared, but also some fatigue won't because in cycling you're using your legs and you will come into swimming maybe with more central uh, fatigue, but uh, you, you are, your muscles, your, your uh, upper body muscles are more rested, for example. So you can still, still work quite hard there as well. But, um, uh, where, where do I want also well, swimming you can't even though if you you test your view to max in running or cycling and you find out okay yes I have a view to max of 80 or uh, 90 you can't expect that that will also be the case in swimming in in in, in cycling and running you can if you do a test in in cycling for tri- and now I'm talking tri- tri- specific 
so if you do a test in cycling, you can expect that the view to max for a triathlete in cycling will be that also more or less the same in running. So you, you could say that if you were only looking for view to max, it wasn't that important to test it on, on the, on the run or, or vice versa. But you can't expect this to be the same for swimming. And the reason for that is that, that, Sure, you would. Most people would probably acknowledge that very uh, when you arrive at a few hundred hours, or already after a few hundred hours of training volume uh, during each year, you are starting to arrive where your your muscles are capable of utilizing all the oxygen that is presented to it. So you are looking at probably more central limitations in your body, but. That's why also in swimming, you, you, you can't, for example, just do uh, high intensity running and then you do low intensity uh, cycling and you could more or less benefit uh, from that high intensity running also when you do high intensity cycling. Uh, vice versa. Of course, you want to mix it up, but there you could probably benefit more for it. In, in, in swimming, you don't. In swimming, you need to have trained more the full spectre. You need the high intensity. You need the medium intensity. You need the low intensity to basically be able to utilize, utilize, um, uh, let's say that view to max, for example, that you have developed in cycling and running. So even if you have a high cardiac, uh, even if you have a high cardiac output, and you are able to to extract a lot of oxygen uh, from the air that you inhale. It doesn't necessarily mean that your swimming specific muscles are capable of using it unless you have trained the body to be able to do so. Mm. And what you say there is really interesting that when you get to even just a couple of hundred hours of training per year that you're getting close to being able to for, for your muscles being able to extract uh, most of the oxygen that is delivered to them. Uh, it, it definitely it. Uh, aligns with with what we're hearing that the, the primary adaptation we're looking for with high intensity interval training for example being uh, central adaptations but at the same time we we are hearing about well people using nears technology for example to to measure these things at uh, non-invasively and seeing what happens mm-hmm. uh, with the oxygenation of the blood so basically that brings me to that question is that something that you have looked into using uh, oxygen saturation measurements or nears uh, to to look at that specifically or is it just something that you think is well established enough that you know that it's the central adaptations that you're looking for when it comes to improving vo2 max uh i'm not sure what i have somewhere between whether we have surpassed ten thousand hours or if we are still on less than ten thousand hours of accumulated nearest data with the triathletes, but it's not far from it's um how to say a common training tool uh in their in their in their training. So uh, they would have it at least in, in cycling, they would more or less use it all the time. In running, not so much because it's, in running, it's a little bit more invasive because, or let's say a little bit more time consuming because you need to use the, the patch to keep uh, the, the nearest device in place as well. Uh, we are only using the Moxie monitors. Uh, I spent some time on, on, uh, checking all the new nearest technology when it comes to the market, but, uh, or the Moxie is the go-to device for us. But um, you, you don't necessarily only need the nearest. You, don't, you, you can, there are many, there are many ways uh, you can look at this at 
Uh, and a lot of the time we get very fascinated about physiology and, and we, we like to talk about VO2 max or metabolic measurements and so on. But a lot of these things you can also get an indication of without using VO2 max, VLA max. The reason, at least for myself, why we do all these kind of things, including NIRS technology, is because they are... It, it's like when you are walking in 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 in, in unknown territory, uh, or let's say in, in terrain, and and if you had only one satellite to navigate from, uh, you would be at best very inaccurate uh, and most likely missing the target. But if you have two satellites or even three satellites, things the direction you should move in is getting more accurate. And the more let's say more satellites you can navigate after, the more accurate. Uh, accurately you can navigate and, and, and make, make understanding. Then you not, not only can you now with enough, enough satellites look at, uh, X and, uh, or let's say X and Z or let's say left or right, but you can also look at altitude or let's say the terrain in, in full 3D. And that's why, for example, we use quite a lot of sensors because, because all these sensors together, we don't, the likelihood for that you're making a misjudgment, uh, is much less than when you have a lot of, let's say, a lot of sensors converging towards the same, the same, um, uh, uh, let's say, uh, factor that you are considering. Mm. So uh, it, 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 I think, um, but also one thing when it comes to to cardiac output, or that we say that we have a central limitation, or cardiac output is the is the limitation. Uh, on the one side, I've been surprised with the triathletes, uh, how I'm like, I, I sometimes tell to the athletes and they, or they ask me or something. I say that I, we don't know. We are in, unknown, we are already in unknown territory. We, we have been working so long on optimizations, trying to understand what's going on, uh, in the body with physiology and so on. And there are only so much we can measure. And there are a lot of things we can't measure still. So when you are pushing the limits, uh, sometimes, you are moving into unknown territory and you don't know how far things can go. But what I do see is that even though we have very good control over VO2 marks and VLA marks and we can adjust the maximum active steady state and we can understand maybe time to exhaustion or capacity, uh, whatever term you want to use, is that, um, is that focusing on VO2 max in triathlon is, of course, important. But we have to remember that VO2 max speed or power uh, is one very depending on what you are doing and and secondly uh, it's if you look at the average speed that you're doing in a triathlon it's it's quite far away from that so you can't if you only said that okay I'm going to increase my view to max uh, sky high and then focus on the maximum active steady state to not increase my uh, vila max too much for example uh you would still lose out on quite a lot of things. So yes, stroke volume, focus on increasing the stroke volume is probably important to increase the view to, to increase the view to max. But what matters in the end is what happened in the race. And, and sometimes focusing too much on view to max can maybe uh, end up that you prioritize too much time on something that is too little race specific, if you understand. What mm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and actually, well, you maybe already answered the next question I was going to ask, uh, which is basically that from the interviews uh, I've done with Ariel and, and all the information that we get uh, anyway from uh, Christian's YouTube channel and and so on, uh, we know that uh, you're training a lot of you're doing a lot of your intense training at around the maximum lactate steady state or or so. 
and uh, maybe not too much uh, high intensity that's at least the uh, the picture that, that i've been getting so then the question is like is is that really enough to improve or how do you try to get vo2 max improvements if you if you're not training uh, if you're not doing a lot of training above uh, mlss but maybe that was the answer to this question that you're more focused on the the speed at vo2 max which maybe does improve with mlss training or and other factors more race specific factors which mlss as you said obviously is for the olympic distance yeah uh- <laughs> So yeah, there wasn't a, there wasn't a question there wasn't a question there, but but yeah, feel free to comment on on that. <laughs> yeah, but just to clarify, there remember that there you you don't have a specific view to max speed or view specific view to max power, because at a certain at a certain level above, you could say that if your capacity was endless, or let's say time to ex- exhaustion was endless or infinite then you could say that every intensity that you ride at above maximum active steady state would in the end um, end up at vo2 max yeah yeah i was maybe referring to like what you might call a, an map or an mav from a from a test so basically you might call it economy above mlss but yeah that, that is a good point yeah so 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 when you're when you're looking about vo2 max you're looking at a metabolic uh, at a metabolic uh, uh, point or marker uh, uh, but my my point is more that so for example in in kayaking K1 kayaking, so 1,000 meter uh, kayaking, they have a race time of approximately 3 minutes, 30 seconds. Rowing, single scholar, uh, they have a little bit longer. They, they are closer to yeah, 7 minutes. But in those sports, you can imagine that that VO2 max is, of course, crucial uh, because it's, it's also very close to the race speed as well. So prioritizing a lot of time on developing those characteristics, let's say whether you call it VO2 max or whether you call it your five minute power or five minute speed plus minus, that's a very, then, then you are doing probably a lot correct already. But I think that what, what important in triathlon and why maybe RL also says that LT2 is very important for us is because also when you look at the power output or speed output in training and or race or let sorry not training but in racing you'll see that it's very very close to also let's say your metabolic LT2 or maximum lactate steady state as well so you're racing and there but of course in, in racing the difference is of course you have more fluctuation and more and so on but but that, that's that's around the the area where you you are also racing so that's why that's important in Ironman it would be different again because now you're racing so much longer distance that you are also quite far away from your from your maximum like the steady state. So this again would shift your training, and it's always this intensity. Or let's say your work requirement. So if it's uh, if it's riding at a certain power, that that would basically bring you onto the podium or winning gold in in, in an Ironman. Uh, that's your single most important intensity. Uh, to 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 develop, and then all the other intensities are only prioritized because you are working on lifting, lifting that that uh, that speed that you are racing at. Mm, yeah. So so in your opinion, uh, or in in just the training that you're doing, how important do, do you are you a believer more in basically 
lifting something up from from below or pulling it up from above uh, i guess this maybe comes back to the testing and the individuality of the athletes uh, again but uh, yeah can you comment on that you answered it already for me it's more more depending on more depending on the individual uh, the athlete and where you are in the season uh, and so on i i don't have a specific uh, belief in what uh, uh, i would say that uh, one is better than the other but you could maybe say that the less control you have it's some i would say that if i if i were not able to do any testing at all and i just had to work with an athlete i would probably feel more confident by working on let's say extending uh or meaning that you're you're building uh you're increasing if I were to raise the the let's say to use a, a term that most people know, then let's use FTP. So I, if if I were not very uncertain, I couldn't do much testing with an athlete, or I had very little control over that athlete, or, or little feedback from that athlete. I would probably work more on extending the FTP and then returning back to. So, for example, if you started to just use a number 30 minutes and this is this is what you can ride at 30 minutes i would work on i would say extending it to 40 minutes to 50 minutes to 60 minutes whatever and then going back to 30 minutes and obviously what felt tough to go for 30 minutes before when you have extended to 60 minutes will feel like a breeze when you go back to 30 minutes so obviously now you can go faster for for for, yeah. for 30 minutes again so i would normally work on i'll say stretching or let's say building the base uh, with with mo- uh, with most athletes very close up to races, and if, if I had little knowledge or little feedback from these athletes compared to being more alternative in my approach, depending on what 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 would be the need of the athlete. Mm. Yep. Uh, on uh, the other side of the spectrum, when we're talking about the the low intensity work, uh, what level of specificity and control? do you have there and uh, and what is low intensity for you is it anything below uh, lt1 uh, if we uh, if you measure that or is it lower because lt1 would be pretty high for for your athletes so so can you talk a little bit more about the low intensity side of things so even lt1 or fat max or all these, these things you are we are again focusing on metabolic markers it means basically that uh, what's Fat max or LT1 uh, uh, after 10 minutes is not necessarily where your LT1 or fat max are after 60 minutes. Because you're just taking, again, a point picture and you're associating with power and you assume that these two, I would say that that, that input and output are, are, are staying constant, but they, they don't. So again, it's about how you, do, how you, how you decide to control it because if you have an if you have a device that allows you to control LT1 uh, you will see that the power output will fluctuate or let's say your fat max will 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 fluctuate uh, during a workout depending on climate depending on uh, fatigue uh, a lot of different factors even your even your mentality can can affect this let's say the 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 link between input and output uh, and uh, so when low, low intensity again we have to remember now we are fur- in, in Olympic triathlon now you are further away again from from um, the race specific intensity so never do LT1 or fat max training to an extent where it starts to hamper your race let's say your race performance 
you can you can yeah you, that makes sense yeah so you can you can consider that your your race performance or your race speed that's 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 the that's the untouchable workouts more or less that's that's your indicator of what what's going on are you moving in the right direction and so on and then you can play around very much with all the things that are happening around here and of course the more testing you can be more accurate than this but let's say you don't do that much testing you can you can play a little bit more around with these uh, these other intensities to see how it affects your your um, uh, race specific performance, but again, always look at the, the, the trend that the trend for uh, at your race specific performance should always uh, or not necessarily always, but it should in the end go up, and 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 all the other workouts are that just to support the development of that. Yeah. And again, if you have an athlete that you cannot test and that you have less feedback, less control of, what would the advice be for them in terms of the low intensity training? I think have patience. That's for one, because uh, I, I prob- a little bit problem with all the intensity that, that that is below, let's say, your maximum lactic steady state. That it's very easy to overdo it. Uh, if you have a two-hour workout, you it's easy to ride way too hard. Uh, that it will start to uh, okay depending again on what you but now we are focusing on olympic olympic triathlon here so if you do if you are if you are an olympic triathlon uh, or olympic triathlete then uh, doing in low less let's call them let's say low intensity um workouts that end up actually bringing too much fatigue on board it will hamper your development on your race. So be patient. That means basically that at the moment you start to feel that, okay, this might now start to, 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 to hamper my next key workout or let's say race specific workout back off. And yep. you might find out afterwards that, oh, it didn't hamper my, my, it didn't, it didn't, um, uh, affect the performance of that workout at all. Hmm, interesting. Well, fine. Next time you can go out and you maybe you can go a little bit longer, or you can go, yeah, you can, yeah, you can increase the volume a little bit on that one. And of course, these things st- doesn't stay constant either. It changes with what kind of period you are in, uh, uh, what other trains you are doing. But this is, of course, the the, the key between how to say an a, a, a elite athlete and an development athlete. That on elite level, you expect that you have enough let's say experience that you at least have a very good understanding or very good feeling with how much is too much. Uh, but still you always, you have periods where you want to even challenge that. You want to see, can we this year move it or push the limbs even a little bit further? Because that's what you are looking for when you are also introducing more volume and this kind of thing, you're looking for more stimulus. And then at some point you will either stagnate if you don't increase or change the stimulus, you will stagnate and you're always looking for how can you push, push limits, but it has to happen in a controlled way. And the, let's say the, the, the control point is your race specific workouts that are, let's say the control gate, um, um, for, for, for how hard and how much you can do above and below your, your uh, race specific workouts. Yeah. So, so with uh, your uh, your national team athletes, uh, of course, I know that sometimes you do spot checking uh, during during rides or maybe runs, for example, to check lactate levels. But if, when you don't do that, what is there anything like? Is there a typical prescription, or is it just they go however they feel on the day as long as it uh, feels easy? Or and and what does that end up being typically? Do you have any sort of 
rough uh, benchmarks around that. So feeling is, I, I, you would be surprised with uh, how much technology we use and how much measurements we use and how accurate we are trying to be. You would be surprised that still it comes down to the feeling of the athlete. I never do a measurement of, a, of an athlete without asking how the athlete feels. And if I see there is a big deviation with what the athlete feel and what I measure, it's important to understand why. Uh, but again, it's always focused on the important session, the race specific sessions. They are, they are key. We, if, if we are looking to have development on them, not maintenance, but actually looking at developing those, then none of the workouts below or above uh, uh, can should affect the, the the performance on that one. And sometimes, of course, we even miss there when, when we learn from it. That's the whole thing, and the body is not static, and we change from year to year, and so on. So there are a lot of things that that, that plays into role. But since these athletes are using quite a lot of um, instruments already, so they have quite advanced power meters where we have far more metrics available than just power. Uh, and you can look at, okay, how you're producing the power. Uh, you can look at your heart rate. You can look at, uh, we use lactate. Uh, um, and then, of course, all these metrics combined with feeling gives you a very good understanding of and especially when you have a lot of experience, uh, that when when is too much, too much, or when should you push go yep. harder? If if that answers your question, it, it does. And uh, and also, uh, if if you don't mind, like what would a typical power on an easy ride be? I, it obviously varies a bit, but for if you want to talk about Christian, for example, and a typical pace on an on an easy run, because I always find it. Uh, it can be quite uh, quite illustrative to to see how what that is, especially when comparing to what the race pace of of that athlete actually is. So it, again, it, it can it can vary quite a lot. Um, uh, but I think that a lot of people will just uh, would think that okay, yeah, LT one, then 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 things are now now things are going slow or this is slow, and 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 it again it depends a little bit on the. Where we are in the season, it depends what kind of race that is coming up. If he's, if he wants to do a long distance race or let's say a half Ironman or something just to make it more, dif- make life difficult, uh, more difficult for everybody, uh, or le- <laughs> <laughs> then, then of course that requires also different. We have to shift the focus in the training. And then of course we can push uh, his LT1 or fat max above, uh, far beyond, uh, 300 watts so north of 330 330 340 um but uh, then the easy rides can also be not too far away from this as well but uh or you could say that okay that's that that's that should be our easy ride lt1 or fatman should be the easy ride but other times so this is, we can go even riding far below this intensity as well. It's more about just going out and you go by feeling. So these athletes are so fine-tuned that, of course, you need the device sometimes because if, let's say, you have a power meter and you ride by a power meter, you would think that after some while that you are, you know exactly what power you should stay at. But if you now basically disable the power meter for a month and then you look, then you have a look, you enable it again and you look at, okay, yes, I'm thinking that I'm riding at 300 watts now. You will, some, some athletes will still be in the vicinity other athletes would drift much more. We are different 
let's say we are different talented. And that's why, of course, instruments should be used only as pedagog- pedagogical tools uh, guiding you. But in the end, it's about the feeling. And the athlete, these athletes have so well-tuned feelings uh, and they know themselves so well that they... Uh, it's difficult to say that uh, they ride at one intensity or when they go easy they, that this is the intensity that they go at. It, it can it can highly uh, it can vary quite a lot depending on on the, on the length of the of the of the ride and where they are in the season and uh, what's the next when is the next important session for example. Yeah. But that's a key point. The last one there that uh, the athletes are obviously aware of uh, when the next important session is, and and they know that that's the the bullseye where they really need to be on their A game. So so they take that into account when when it comes to adjusting intensity in those lower intensity workouts. Exactly. Uh, one final uh, question before we go into the rapid fire questions that I, I want to talk about is uh, training load. So how do you control the overall training load? Uh, are there any particular ways that you like to monitor it and uh, yeah can you can you discuss that so the gold standard is the feedback from the athletes obviously uh and then all other metrics are just supportive metrics if you're uncertain or if you want to push beyond so meaning for example yes i feel fatigued okay that's perfect that's what we want you to feel in this period and you want to to let's say you want to yeah have the athlete work with more fatigue and so on, but, but, but you're more, let's say, in, into unknown territory. But uh, then you need more, then you need more supportive metrics and so on. But the gold standard is the feedback from the athletes, how they feel, and of course, uh, their, their reflections. Uh, and then all the other metrics become um, uh, supportive, including HRV, uh, resting heart rates, uh, uh, yeah. Uh, there are so many metrics that we do collect, but again, there are only supportive metrics in the end. And uh, first and in the end, it's always down to what the athlete uh, that is feeling. Mm, yeah. And uh, and in terms of the, the training load, it's pretty well known that you have high training loads and high, high volumes. And uh, to some extent, there are some some coaching groups that are on the ITU circuit that that are like really looking more like looking to more minimize the train load, I guess. And uh, we hear a lot about minimal effective dose. And from you, uh, I guess it's not necessarily that I'm saying that you're doing it differently, but uh, it's maybe just that you have a different perspective of what the minimal effective dose is when it comes to winning an Olympic gold medal or something. But do you want to comment on that, like the differences that exist between different training groups on the WTS circuit uh, in in just the volume and, and load in general? Yeah, I think you, because when you talk about minimal effective dosage, I think it, uh, I think the key question, uh, or let's say the, 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 the thing that you have to remember and exactly like you, you, you pointed out to win the Olympic gold. Um, and then of course, we know that if you train, uh, the difference between an athlete or most athletes, at least that train one hour a week and 10 hour a week, more volume will normally also, I'll say, increase performance. And that's of course how, how sports have developed. But the, the 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 bigger the volume becomes, so the greater the let's say the work you do, or if you measure it in kilojoules, kilojoules distributed, that's of course a demand, an energy demand on your body that you are you, you are you are requiring your body to adapt to. 
So uh, of course, when when you come at uh, very arrive at very high volumes, then uh, and which most triathletes do, uh, then uh, at some point intensity and uh, and control and intensity distribution becomes extremely important. So I think uh, I think to be honest, when we are not, I don't think we are that far away from other groups. I think maybe we are, of course, we are a little bit more on the, on the extreme side when it comes to volume than, than most other groups. But again, it's always uh, looking at how can we induce a little bit more stimuli to increase the performance even a little bit more. But you are at the edge where you're looking at diminishing return because you can never train more. You can never train more than what you can recover or restitute from, uh, obviously. Otherwise, you will go into an overtraining state. So, uh, uh, and that's fine in some periods, maybe, but you need to keep the balance of this. And then again, the only way to keep really, you know, we, we don't know. We don't know. Maybe we find out that we can even push it up a little bit further and with some, and, and sustaining it with even better control, better accuracy. And we are able to, to stabilize even more athletes at, at the top, top level. But minimum effective dosage. Yes, I agree. Uh, but, but if if you are doing exactly the same as your competitor, how where do you find now an an, an uh, advantage? Of course, intensity is not the same as quality. So you want to have quality in both your low, medium intensity workouts. But then the next question would be, how do we create a competitive advantage if everything else is equal? Then the next obvious thing would be to try to increase the stimuli or let's say the demand, energ- energetic demand on the body to, to see if you can make it adapt for something even, even one more higher level up. Yeah. And, and last final, uh, final follow up question on, on this. Uh, there you mentioned controlling the training intensity distribution. Uh, what, uh, what is your training intensity distribution? If you can describe it qualitatively or quantitatively, whichever you prefer and, uh, yeah, can, can do off the top of your head. Oh, um, so obviously with more volume, uh, as a percent, if you, if you, if you think of it as a percentage, obviously the more volume you get, the more of your training ha- will happen at a lower intensity, obviously. Um, at, but it, it depends actually a little bit. It depends on where we are in the season. It depends on the, the demand, uh, so I don't really have a very specific or good answer uh, for you on that because it also changes a little bit from year to year. So I would love to give you some statistics on that, but I think that Christian and 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 and, and uh, Christian Gustav Casper they probably uh, they are using Strava. So I think most people know that they wants to know a little bit about the training and how they train and so on can easily find a lot of those statistics from the Strava accounts, but. Uh, but uh, you'll see it changes a little bit from year to year and it depends on a little bit what we are focusing on on, on for that athlete so um, I don't pay too much attention to what are the average numbers over years except looking at where can we drive performance mm. just in terms of the shape of the distribution are you, do you think that you have 
um, uh, well, the whole polarized training research uh, and the, mo- the model of polarized training came out of Norway uh, mm-hmm. initially with Steven Seiler located there and, and his uh, team and then other research groups as well having looked into that. Do you think that you have more training sort of at or above MLSS than between LT1 and MLSS or, or do you have more uh, training spent between uh, LT1 and MLSS? Like, is it more pyramidal or more polarized In if you can comment on the shape? Yeah, uh, uh, if you are thinking of polarized in the right, or let's say in, 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 in how it was first conceptualized uh, by Steven Saylor, I think he used two and four millimoles or 65 and 80 Five percent of VO two max. Don't 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 quote me on these ones. Uh, yeah. um, uh, I might be mistaken. It's a long time since I looked too much into that. But um, but you you have to remember that polarized training is is a concept that basically comes from Nordic skiing. That was where it basically was. Uh, let's say. Uh, um, first studied or the first, uh, I, I, if I'm not mistaken, that's, that's the first place. And there, there is a quite logical explanation for why it was like that. But in, and, and one of them is just the way that you are doing racing there. Uh, it, it is a little bit more polarized the way you do racing even, um, compared to, let's say, cycling and triathlon, especially Olympic distance triathlon, where, uh, where I think that, uh, if you look at it just uh, as a training training intensity distribution, uh, you you'll see that it, it it is not a perfect pyramid, but it I think it it looks more like a pyramid than than let's say uh, uh, something polarized. Yeah, yeah, that, that makes sense. Also, just with the uh, the durations of the races in cross country skiing with. Uh, Everything except the 50k for uh, for the men and the 30k for the for the women being uh, like around half an hour or shorter. Uh, we have the the 15k or the 10k and and then uh, sprint distance races. So um, whereas the in triathlon the shortest distance is a sprint distance, which is 50 minutes or or so. So so it's significantly longer. And then the Olympic, of course, being uh, being closer to two hours, uh, one one forty five or so. So uh, yeah, makes sense. All right, but uh, let's get into the rapid-fire questions. And uh, these are just one-sentence answers. And the first one is, what's your favorite book, blog, or resource related to endurance sports? Yes. <laughs> uh, that's a... So I'm, I'm, I'm quite targeted in my approach. So when I work on a topic, I try to find sources that expands and challenges my view always advancing my understanding. So looking for new perspectives and connections between how everything is put together down to uh, the smallest piece. So it depends on what I'm working on. Right. No. All right. And uh, what's your favorite piece of gear or equipment? I can't tell you before, after the Olympics. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) (laughs) And, And what's the personal habit that's helped you achieve success? single most important i think is that i'm always trying to surround myself with very smart and wise people uh, that i have as my mentors and uh, big thanks to Oya Matsen, Roger Jansvik, Morten Christoffersen, Bent Rundestad, uh, Eivind Sandbach, Karsten Lundby and of course uh, coaches like uh, Aril and uh, Aril Tweiten and Eirik Ross Larsen which are pretty crazy coaches 
somewhere between uh, pushing leading and bleeding edge perfect great great answer and uh yeah with uh, regard to your uh olympic quest uh, i you have my full support i really i i like your your team a lot so so i'm going to be rooting for you because obviously being from finland i don't have any hopes of having a, any compatriot there uh, uh so so i can choose choose freely and my support goes to to the norwegians so good luck with that thank you so much All right, and thank thank you again for taking so much time to come on uh, the podcast and, and talk. It's been a, a real pleasure. My pleasure too. It was really nice uh, talking to you, and uh, uh, I'm sure I'm sure we will uh, our roads will cross uh, probably several times more in the future. Yes, let's hope so. I hope that you enjoyed that interview with Olav. Uh, I really enjoyed it. It was a super great discussion and we also talked for quite a long time after the interview. And uh, honestly, my notes uh, fail me here because I'm not quite sure if these take-home messages I've written down in my notes are from the actual interview or from uh, perhaps the post-interview discussion. They might be from the post-interview discussion, I suspect, but I may be mistaken as I'm recording this outro uh, a fair time after having recorded the actual interview. But a couple of take-home messages that Olaf gave me, I believe, after the interview was for the listeners to try to simply become the best in the world, become world-class on using the power duration curve and uh, and using a power meter. Uh, with those two things, you can really become exceptionally good at planning your training, uh, especially on the bike, which is obviously very quantifiable in that sense. And uh, I guess essentially to sum up the the message that Ulla tried to convey there was that there are a lot of marginal gains that can be done and that they are doing, but don't forget the really important things and start by becoming world-class at a really important thing, which is using the power duration curve and which is really a quite a basic thing, but there's so much you can do with it. So I would wholeheartedly agree with with that, like get the basics right first, really nail them and become world-class at them before going down too many rabbit holes. So so that is a good good message from Olaf to to end on. As always, you can find the show notes from the episode on scientifictriathlon.com. And I will, of course, link to the episodes I have done with Adil Tweiten, who is the head coach of the Norwegian uh, Olympic triathlon team. So those were episodes 154 and 223. On Thursday, we have another Q&A coming out. And then on the next Monday, I interview Trent Stellingworth, who many of you will probably know as one of the foremost nutrition researchers in the world. So tune in for that. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss any new episodes. If you are looking for training plans, coaching services, training camps, or the like, then do check out scientifictriathlon.com. We have plenty of options to help with your training there and help improve your performance. That is uh, the reason that Scientific Triathlon Uh, exists to help triathletes improve their performance big thanks to our sponsors precision hydration that you can find on precisionhydration.com go and take their free online sweat test and get 15 off your order of electrolytes with the promo code that triathlon show one five and big thanks to roca that you can find on roca.com check out their wetsuits trisuits swimskins goggles high performance eyewear and prescription glasses and sunglasses and get 20% off your order with the promo code that you can get on roca.com forward slash TTS. Thank you, as always, for listening. Keep training smart and keep loving triathletes.